You're listening to the Cornerstone Family Worship Center podcast. Making disciples, building community, and growing together in faith and love. Uh, sometimes when people hear a testimony such as Nunzio or some of the other ones that I shared uh, this morning, uh, people don't understand that. And they go, what in the world happened to this person? What happened to that woman? What happened to this guy? And trust me, if you're here today and you do not understand it, what happened to them, they at one point in time, when they heard a testimony such as that, did not understand it either. I'm speaking for myself. I did not understand it. But boy, oh boy, when you see the light, when it happens to you, it's like, whoa, I wish I'd have known this earlier in my life. Amen. So this morning, uh, I want to try to help all of us that are in this place today to understand uh, exactly what happened uh, in the lives of these two gentlemen. The title of my message this morning is, There Are No Loopholes When It Comes to Eternal Life. So let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this service thus far. We pray your blessing upon the preaching of this word today, that it will touch our hearts and that we will not be uh, quick to uh, forget it uh, and not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A loophole, the definition of a loophole is an escape clause or an exception to a rule or law that can be exploited in order to avoid its effects. And many lawyers and litigators make their living looking for loopholes. Basically what they do when they go into court. They're looking for a way to defend this person or whatever. And a person, uh, a person who is guilty of committing a crime can go free just because they were not read their rights properly and they can get off on that technicality. Or their vehicle or their home was not properly searched. They didn't have a proper search warrant or the wording in the search warrant was not right. And sometimes people can get completely off from something that they're guilty of. But there's no loopholes when it comes to eternal life. In the Bible, religious leaders and priests were often referred to as lawyers. They're not the kind of lawyers that we think of today when we hear that term. But they were uh, uh, the leaders and the priests and, and the people who were uh, responsible for leading the people in the laws of God. But they, too, were always trying to find loopholes. Even the religious people. Loopholes for getting around the true meaning of the law. So today we're going to look at four incidents where these lawyers uh, were looking for loopholes concerning eternal life. 
uh, something they were supposed to know about as religious leaders. So the first one's going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you're just making notes, make note of that scripture. Or hopefully we'll have each one of these up on the screen for you. But in this first one, this lawyer that Jesus addresses, uh, Jesus simplifies the Ten Commandments. How many of you have ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments. That's the moral law of God that is innate in every human being. It's there. And we know that we shouldn't lie. We know that we shouldn't steal. We know that we shouldn't uh, go to bed with our neighbor's wife. Those are all things that inside of us we know. We know better. But it was the written law of God that, that helped us to understand that. So this is what happened here in Matthew 22. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, again, these are religious leaders, not the lawyer type that we talk about in our day and age, which was a lawyer asking him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus was simplifying those ten commandments by breaking it down into basically two commandments. And the reason that he did that was the first four commandments of those ten had to do with our vertical relationship with God. Our relationship with God. And then the next six of those commandments had to do with our relationship with each other as human beings. Uh, so as far as God was concerned, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, you shall not make unto yourselves any graven image or make a god to your own liking. That's what they would do if they were worship, uh, idol worshippers. Uh, he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. This is called blasphemy. And many of us, even sitting here right now, have done that. You shall keep the Sabbath holy. God would have us to rest. And one day out of seven, come away and, and, and uh, rest in him and be replenished spiritually before him. Acknowledge him. And then the last six commandments have to do with our relationship with people. Honor your parents. Do not murder anyone. Do not commit adultery. Or as Jesus pointed out in the New Testament, when these lawyers would come to him, he, he said it's, it's even more important than that. It's if you have lusted in your heart for someone, it's as if you have committed that act of adultery already. So we've broken God's law in, in, that, in that sense and in that way. <clears throat> uh, do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet what your neighbor has. So that's the first lawyer that Jesus addressed in our message today. The second one is in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 29. And this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? Or what do you think of the law? How, how do you see it? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, 
uh, strength and with all your mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. So according to what we just read a minute ago, this guy had it right, right? He knew those two basic, the Ten Commandments basically boiled down to these two commandments. And he answered, uh, uh, and, and then he said unto him, Jesus said unto him, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. So if you'll do this, you'll have eternal life. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So here's a religious lawyer looking for a loophole. Okay, I already know that. I know the commandment is love God with all my heart, soul, body, strength, mind. I know it is to love my neighbor as myself. But, but who really is my neighbor? The guy that lives next door to me? Or somebody that I work with? Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. And I'm not going to read the entire thing. Uh, but... Uh, Almost everyone knows what it means to be a good Samaritan. Amen? Uh, helping or reaching out to someone in need. Even though most people have never read this account in the scriptures, uh, not realizing that it was given in response to a question, and the question was, what must I do to have eternal life? And so even people who say about... A, talk about a good Samaritan. You'll hear it on the news, maybe at 11 o'clock at night on your news station. Oh, there was a good Samaritan who helped this person do so and so, and they'll refer to that person as a good Samaritan. A lot of times people don't even know what that means. But the story goes on that a person uh, inferring possibly that he was a Jewish man was beaten up and, and taken advantage of and, and left for dead on a road. And one of these lawyer types comes walking by. This is the story that Jesus is relating to them. And he says, a, a, a religious leader, a priest comes by, and he sees the man, and he walks over onto the other side of the street so as to avoid him and get away from him. And he passes right on by. And then another person comes by who maybe was a congregant or a person who was worshiping in the temple with him. It's, uh, he was a Levite and... Uh, uh, maybe a, a lay minister even in the church, a deacon or something. <clears throat> and so as he's coming by, he sees the man, and he also walks on the other side of the street to avoid him. And then a Samaritan comes by, and this is significant because Jesus is using uh, a term, the Samaritans were a mixed breed of Jewish people. And the, and the Jews did not like them, to say the least. They despised them. So Jesus used that to say that a Samaritan now comes by and he sees the man, he reaches down, he kneels down with him, he administers to his wounds and he, and he helps him up, he gets him on his mule and he takes him on into the city and he goes to an inn and he says, hey listen, here's some money to take care of this man for me and if he needs anything else, I'm going on a journey right now, if he needs anything else, you take care of him, put it on the tab and when I come back, I'll pay uh, for what, what you've, put into him. And uh, so then Jesus said, so now which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man? The guy says, the Samaritan. What can he say? A fool. Only a fool would say one of the other ones. So he says, that's what you need to do. Then we're going to go to the rich young ruler. This, we refer to this particular young man or man as a rich young ruler. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 18, starting in the 18th verse. 
And it says there, <clears throat> and a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, so far, what, what are these people asking about? They're not asking about the law. They're not asking about this or that. They're saying to him, what must I do? What must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said unto him, why callest me good? Why do you call me good? There's only one who is good. And he's talking about perfection. There's only one who is perfect. There's one, only one who is holy, and that is God himself. Well, you, why do you call me good? Verse 20, he says, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. There's one thing that you still lack. Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Not that wealth will keep someone out of heaven or out of the kingdom of God, but that our love for wealth will. And so he's pointing this out to this young man, and Jesus exposes what's really in his heart. He is a liar. He said, I, I've kept all of the commandments since I was a young kid. And so Jesus points out to him that he's a liar because he was not keeping all the commandments. He was a lover of his money. In other words, money was his God. And that violates the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. His love for his money became his God. Someone said, I don't love money. I just love the stuff that money can buy. Well, it's the same. The Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love your money, if you love your cars, if you love your homes, even your family members, more than you love God, you have violated the first commandment of God. And again, I would dare say that most of us here in this room, or anybody who ever hears this podcast of this message, have violated that commandment. Amen. So we've broken the law of God. <clears throat> now we're going to go to the last one. And that is John chapter 3. And before we read that one, I want to read to you a quote from one of the world's greatest preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Charles Spurgeon. <clears throat> and he said this, If we were to ask to read to a dying man who did not know the gospel, we should probably select this chapter as the most suitable one for such an occasion. And what is good for dying men is good for us all, for that is what we are. We are all dying men. 
and how soon we may be actually at the gates of death. None of us can tell. Is it going to be today? Is it going to be tomorrow? Is it going to be next week? Nunzio was sharing with me a, a little while back that he was golfing with a friend of his, and he was a golfer, and I, I don't remember the exactness of this testimony, but I think on the day that they were, they, the first hole, the guy had a heart attack and died. Now, this, we're, this is not just fun and games that we're talking about here. And what Spurgeon said at his day and age, back in the 1800s, 1900s, early 1900s or 1800s, uh, was, what was true then is true today. So he said this very chapter would be a good chapter to read to a man who's dying on his deathbed, getting him to understand that he must be born again. And so we're going to read that, John chapter 3, and we're going to first look at the first verses, uh, first seven verses. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter, into, uh, enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. It's not enough to just be born in the natural. It's not enough to just be born of your mother's womb and to come into this world. He said you must be born again. So he's talking about a spiritual rebirth, a spiritual clean slate, if you will. And uh, so Nicodemus is befuddled. He's confused. And he says, how in the world can this happen? You know, and he's kind of like... Uh, the scientists today, you know, they want to figure everything out. And if it can't fit in a test tube or a Petri dish, it ain't real. Right? Except for the theory of evolution. They will accept that head over heels. And let me tell you something case you don't know this because there's a lot of talk about it in the world today. There's not one single shred of proof of evolution being real. And any honest scientist will agree to that and admit that and confess that. Oh, they don't want to, they may not want to accept God because it's hard for our minds to comprehend an almighty, awesome God who always was and spoke the world into existence. That's hard for your head to get around. Come on. That's hard for my head to get around, and I've loved him for 47 years. He always was. But I accept what the Word of God says concerning that. And people say, oh, that's just blind faith. You're just being stupid. No, it's not blind faith. It's faith based upon a book 
that was written by men under the inspiration of God to reveal to men the way of God. Hallelujah. That's it. That's what the Bible is. It's God's manual for life. It's God's, uh, you know, like Henry Ford uh, put together or the Ford company or a Chevy company or whatever GM puts together a manual and tells you the right kind of oil to put in your car, the right kind of fuel to put in your car, how to treat your car and everything else. It's all in that book, how to keep this vehicle running right. And the first thing is to have a spiritual rebirth. Amen. We have to have that. And uh, so... So they're willing to accept evolution. Stop and think about this. The eyeball. <laughs> the intricacies in just your eye. There are so many phenomenal things about the eye, and I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going there. But I do know this. There are so many things about just the eyeball that should cause a scientist to go, wow. Then, then you ask the scientist, now listen. What came first, the body that an eyeball evolved into, or an eyeball sitting out there in the universe that a body evolved around? And an honest scientist would go, ain't no way that's happening. But we can't put God in a test tube, and we can't put him in a Petri dish, therefore we're not going to accept him. <clears throat> but Jesus said to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You must be born again. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. If you're not born again, you don't see the kingdom of God. If you're not born again, you don't come before the Father. Jesus said in another place, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You're not coming in some other door. You're not coming in through some other religion. You need to hear this preacher this morning because what I'm telling you is out of that unique book that we receive these truths from. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation of God. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Man! Dennis said, I sat in church most of my life and didn't realize until just lately God's love for me and his salvation for me and his plan for my life. Wow. A new creation, a new person inside. You know, when I got saved in 1971, I'd never been a skinny person. I was kind of chunky back then, even at my slimmest point. But on the day that I got saved, that didn't change. I didn't all of a sudden lose 30 pounds. My face is just as ugly as it ever was. No, I shouldn't say that, right? I should be more positive. I'm good looking. But I'm, what I'm saying is nothing about my physical features changed. But something went off in my heart that changed me forever, man. I'm telling you, 47 years later, I, don't have, I can't look back at a day that I have served Jesus Christ and regretted it. What I regret is those first 21 years of my life that I didn't serve him. Dropping down in John's Gospel in the 16th verse there. This is a classic verse that many of you sitting here have probably heard if you ever attended Sunday school in any kind of a denomination uh, of Christianity at all. 
Jesus went on to tell Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Listen to this now. He that believeth on him. And that word is not just a mental assent. He that believes in him, he who trusts in him, he who relies upon him and him alone for his salvation, that's what it's saying. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not, who is not trusting in him, who is not relying upon him for their eternal hope and salvation, he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world. Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. And here's the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. When we finally come to the light, we are saying from our hearts, I have been wrong, I have broken your commandments, I have violated your, your word, and I confess that. And I turn away from my wickedness today and from my rejection of you. I turn away from that today and I receive the salvation that you have purchased for me. I know that a lot of times people say, well, I don't know about you Christians. You always pull out that Bible, and you got this long list of sins, and what you can't do, and what you can do, and this and that. I don't want to be a Christian. You guys aren't any fun. Let me make this real simple for you. There's only one One sin that will keep a person out of heaven. It's not homosexuality. It's not adultery. It's not fornication. It's none of those sins in particular by themselves that will keep you out of heaven. There's only one sin that will keep people from going to heaven when they die. Their rejection of Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's it. The refusal of their one and only way of salvation. Their denial of Christ in this world and in this life. These two men are, had, have not denied Christ. They've stood publicly and they've done it all the way up until this time, not just today, but they have publicly made a profession and confession of faith in Jesus Christ with their life, in this life. And this is what Jesus says about that. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, and I don't know if I have that on the screen for you. You can write it down. Whosoever therefore, this is Jesus speaking, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. I meet people on the street or different places and I, 
And I end up talking with them a little bit, and I ask them if they're Christians. And they say, yes, they are. And then I say, are you born again? And many times I'll hear, well, I'm Catholic. Can I tell you, if you're here today, I know that your friends of Nunzio's or, uh, or uh, Brother Dennis's, if you're here today and you're Catholic, I do not mean to offend you in one single way at all. But when someone says to me, I'm Catholic, it's not good enough. Not good enough. You must be born again. I'm Baptist. Not good enough. You must be born again. I'm Lutheran. Not good enough. You must be born again. I try to be a good person. Not good enough. As a matter of fact, the Bible says all of your righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of a holy and perfect God. And mine as well. I'm not just pointing my finger at you. All of our righteousness our self-righteousness, our self-attempts at saving ourselves, of being good enough for God to accept us. He's a perfect, holy, just, wonderful, awesome, loving God, and heaven is a glorious place that is perfect. And, and, and if I come in in my sins, I will contaminate the whole place. So I'm not getting in in my sinful condition. I need to get that fixed, and the way to get it fixed is you must be born again doesn't matter if your daddy was a preacher and if your mama led the choir. doesn't matter if your uncle was a deacon. It does not matter. I know of guys who helped to build this sanctuary right here years ago. Different guys in the congregation had uh, different uh, construction skills. And I know, I know a guy today who is dead today who helped to build this church. That's not good enough. You must be born again. <clears throat> that one sin that I mentioned, that's what will keep you out of heaven. Now the scripture is pretty clear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You say, wow, pastor, you just read off a whole bunch of lists. You said that there was only one sin. That one sin of not receiving Christ and submitting our lives unto him, if we don't do that, we'll continue in these sins. And it's not these sins that take us to hell. It's the sin of not receiving him and his word in our life, his forgiveness. Because when a man receives the forgiveness of God in his heart and his life, he no longer goes along with that lifestyle. There's a change. That's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. You must be born again. If we're practicing these things, it is evident that we've not been born again. Or we've at least backslidden and turned our life away from God Almighty. If you die in your sin, 
hear me today. If you die in your sin, that one sin, if you die that way, you will not go to heaven when you leave this earth. I, I have to say that to you as a minister of the gospel. And if I didn't say that to you, I would not be being true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to be warned of that. You need to be told that. You need to listen to that and hear it with your spiritual ears, not just your physical ears, but you need to hear it down deep inside of your heart. Without Christ, you will go to a devil's hell, eternally separated from God. And there are not a lot of churches around today that will even mention that four-letter word because they don't want to offend anybody. And I'm telling you right now, there's only one hell. And if I offend you by saying what I just said, you're not going to hell B. There's hell A and that's it. So I'm going to run the risk of offending you because I love your eternal soul. And God, more than me, loves your eternal soul. So much so that he sent Jesus into the world to die on the cross for your sins. It's, 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 our, our minds can't hardly comprehend that. Jesus took upon himself the sins of the world, your sins and mine, and he was nailed to a tree, and he became the penalty that, uh, for our sins. Jesus got on the cross what he did not deserve. And we are partakers today of a wonderful salvation through him, the mercy and the grace of God, because he took upon himself what he did not deserve. We are able to have what we do not deserve. Grace! Mercy! Forgiveness! That's what was in the cross. That was what was coming from the blood of our Savior. He poured out his life that we could have life. Awesome. Awesome. The Apostle John wraps up that chapter. And they weren't written in chapters and verses. We understand that. It was written in... Uh, a whole context, but we have chapters and verses to help us to find things easily. Okay? But he wraps it up in the very last verse of that chapter that we just read. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth Again, that word believe does not just mean I believe in a man who was called Jesus, who they crucified way back then, 2,000 years ago. I believe that he even got up and came up out of the grave. I believe these historical facts about Jesus up here in my head. But you need to allow that to drop down about 18 inches into your soul, into your very spirit, and say, you know what? I believe him for my salvation. I trust in him for his grace. I, I believe that he will forgive me and blot out every sin that I have ever committed. When the Bible says that he died for the sins of the world, just stop and think of this. Look around this, this little group of people right now. Just take, go ahead, take a look around. What kind of sins do you think are represented here right now in this place? I'm not talking about those that have been covered by the blood of Christ. I'm talking about 
you remembering what you've done in your life. Stop and think about it. Man, okay, let's all get out of our seats today. We're going to do something different. Let's all get out of our seats today and come up here one at a time and, and say exactly what we've done in our lives to offend God. I'm just kidding. None of us would want to do that. I certainly wouldn't want to. There are some things that are left better unsaid. Amen? But I'm there. I've done that. I've lived that kind of life. I was not born a Christian. I was not born a preacher. I was born again a Christian. That's what happens when you get born again. You truly become a Christian. Well, what about all those other ones that we talked to, the Lutherans and the Catholics and this and that? Aren't they Christians? If they're not born again, answer is no. There's no other way that I could say it any more plain than what I have laid out today in this place. And so what John says, he that believes in, trusts in, relies upon Jesus, that person has everlasting life. Some people say, well, you can't really know if you're going to be saved or if you're really going to go to heaven. No, you're wrong. You're not reading the Bible. The Bible gives us the utmost confidence that we can know our salvation is of God. Amen. So John says, He that believeth not on the Son is not, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Let me ask you a question today. According to the word of God and what it says here in this verse, what is your present condition? before God? Have you placed your trust and eternal hope in Christ and in him alone? And if not, I stand here to tell you today what Jesus told Nicodemus. You must be born again. Have you turned from your own sinful ways through repentance? If not, you must be born again. Have you given your life to Christ? If not, you must be born again. Is God's wrath against you today? Is his justice looming over your eternal soul today? And that's a question that all of us should ask ourselves. Those lawyers came to Jesus asking what they needed to do to have eternal life. Jesus wrapped it all up here in what he was telling Nicodemus for each and every one of us. It's not about being Catholic. It's not about being Lutheran. It's not about being Baptist or Pentecostal or any other tag that you want to put on yourself. It's not about that. It is about your relationship with him. And the only way that you can have a relationship with him is through repentance of your sins and the acceptance of Christ as Savior. 